Father God, we just want to say thank you for the opportunity to come once again. And Lord, in our first service this morning, we had just a great opportunity to spend some time in prayer and anoint someone on behalf of a, another church member. And Lord, it just is a reminder of how a lot of times we take for granted just in a church and being able to benefit from that. Lord, we have so many church members who are just not able to be here anymore with health reasons and various other things. And God, it is a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to just be healthy enough, to be conscious enough to just know that this is somewhere we're supposed to be. And so God, for every man, every woman, every young person in this room, just help us to understand how important moments like this are and it's so easy to take them for granted because we do it every week and we have so many things going on in life that we could be focused on right now and we could be doing and accomplishing but God it's so important for us to be here and it's not just enough to be present It's not just enough to just show up in body and wear a decent pair of clothes today. God, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we just just need to show up because you're worth it. You're so worth it. And maybe we've lost sight of that. Maybe we've just forgotten the amazing thing that you did for us on that cross. Maybe we've just let it slip. But God, I pray this morning in this time that you would remind us once again how much you truly love us. That long before we were ever thought of being made by our parents long before we ever acknowledged you as Lord and Savior you died for us knowing that we might not ever choose you we might not ever surrender to you but you died for us anyway to just make it possible in case we ever decided that we want to have a relationship with you And that is worth being here today for. It's worth showing up for emotionally and mentally and spiritually. So God, I pray that we would not take it for granted, but we would be 100% present in this moment to hear the reading of your word and to just have faith to know that you want to speak to us. You want to move in our hearts and lives, and yes, you want to change us because none of us are perfect. None of us are where we need to be. So God, we invite you in this morning to speak and to work and to move in our hearts. 
Help us to get out of the way. Help us to surrender to you and to just let you move in our lives. To do a work in us and do a work through us. Father, we love you. We thank you. We give this time to you. And we ask all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, it was great to see everybody today. And uh, we did finish up our series uh, on fasting and praying last month. And so the Lent season has begun. And uh, we are preparing for the coming of Easter, and we've said this uh, a few times, but Easter is just six weeks away. Uh, It it will approach fast. It's coming sooner this year than it usually does. And uh, leading up to Easter, we're going to be spending the next several weeks uh, just talking about this new series that we've titled The End of the Beginning. That's a little backwards from how you normally hear it saying, but I think it's really important as we understand that Jesus is, is about to shed his blood, give his life on the cross, that he is doing something brand new. Um, and in, 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 in light of that, to know that there is something that had been going on for a really long time that's coming to an end. Uh, it's, the, it's the beginning It's the end of the beginning. It's the end of what God had done initially, and he's ushering in something brand new through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so as we talk for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at a few uh, moments in Jesus' life as the time of the cross is approaching. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when you look at like the Gospel of John, there's a significant amount of that scripture that's devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. And so you have, you know, you have the story of Jesus' ministry, but there's a significant portion of that gospel that's devoted to the last week. There's a lot of really important things going on, and we're going to be looking at some of those over the next several weeks of what's happening in that last week of Jesus' life, leading up to the cross, leading up to the trials, leading up to his resurrection as we celebrate Easter Sunday. And today, we're going to be in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to be looking at the passage of Scripture where Jesus is anointed. And this is super fascinating, super special passage. So uh, follow along with me. It'll be on the screen. If not, you can turn in your Bible to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. But it says, Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. That's pretty typical if you remember the story about Mary and Martha. Martha was busy working. She was mad that Mary wasn't helping her. And so even still, Martha's a worker. She's still serving in this moment. Verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. 
And Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And point number one this morning, one of the things that I want to take note of is that the old covenant was coming to an end. We don't talk about it a whole lot when Easter comes around. You know, we focus a lot on the trial and Jesus' pain and suffering and his death and his resurrection. Um, but, you know, when, when you look at the Bible, I mean, you can literally take your Bible and you can take the Old Testament, which is pretty thick, all right? It's a pretty good portion of the Bible. And then you have the New Testament, which is much thinner, both very important. But you have to understand that in this moment, I mean, this is the last week of Jesus' life, and everything that these people were living by, according to the Old Testament, highly off of the law of Moses, all of that is about to come to an end. 4,000 years. I mean, like you think about it, from the time Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and God cast them out and he divvied out the punishment and he divvied out the curses that he was going to put on them and the ground and the serpent and everything and he cast them out of the Garden of Eden. It was 4,000 years leading up to Jesus and we're just 2,000 years after Jesus and that seems like forever, right? I mean, it seems like forever ago. Like so many people have a really hard time saying, well, Jesus has been saying he's going to come back for 2,000 years and he hasn't come back yet. Well, you look at the Old Testament and it was 4,000 years from the time Adam and Eve sinned and was cast out of the garden and sin set in that God finally redeemed humans through the blood of Jesus Christ to have true forgiveness and a true relationship with him. 4,000 years. And all that's about to come to an end. And when I say it comes to an end, it's not like we're just doing away with the Old Testament. We're not doing away with the law of Moses. We're not doing away with that covenant. Actually, Jesus is fulfilling all of that. Because everything in the Old Testament, through that Old Covenant, it was kind of this temporary thing to just atone for a moment. Okay? It's very repetitive in a sense. So, so people would have to go. Every time they went to the temple, they would have to bring a sacrifice. And, and, and every time you sinned, you had to offer a sacrifice. And you had to do all this stuff. And so let, let's look at it from our perspective today according to how we approach our relationship with Christ. Can you imagine every time you come to church, you just had to get saved again? Like you had to go down to the altar, you get saved again, then we baptized you again, and every time you wanted to come worship and you wanted to approach God and have that time of worship, we just do it all over again and how repetitive and kind of monotonous that would be. Anybody ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? It's old. It's not spiritual. You're not going to get anything great out of it. It's just a funny movie. But basically, Bill Murray wakes up every day, and it's just Groundhog Day over and over again. And it, 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 he, he realizes early on like how miserable that is. And, and so the first half of the movie is him just like basically just suffering through this repetitive day over and over and over again. This whole idea of what the Old Testament brings... What was very necessary. Like you look at the law of Moses, you look at all the commands that God gave the Israelites, they were good. They were necessary. They, they were great for the people of Israel, and they had so many like physical, emotional, social, uh, like health constructs to them that benefited the people of it. They're very good. And Jesus said, I did not come to abolish law. I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament covenant and all that. But thank God we get to have the New Testament covenant, which we get to live by, which means when you get saved and you get baptized, 
and you receive that, then you have the hope of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you have the hope of of growing in your relationship with Christ. That you're not having to just repeat these sacrifices and these things over and over again. Even in the form, like when you think about praying and Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't stand out there and just shout. Don't be repetitive in your prayers, but tell God what you need and trust in him to give it to you. Even in your prayer life, you don't have to just repeat, 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 thinking that God's going to hear you the hundredth time and he didn't hear you the first ninety-nine. You just let God know what you need and have faith that he's going to give it to you. We don't have to go through this repetitive process, but we get to have this amazing relationship with Christ that is new and it's fresh and we can grow and we can know him more and know his word more and experience him in in amazing new ways. And we sang that song a while ago in worship about may we never lose our wonder. And you think about how many times we come to church and we just take it for granted. Think about how many times we have Easter Sunday and we just t- it's just another day. And if you're, if you're the woman of the family, you're probably worried about the meal that you're going to fix and you lose sight of what's going on. If you're the man of the family, you're worried about what meal you're going to eat. And if you're the kids, you're worried about the eggs you're going to hide and find. We lose the significance of stuff a lot of times, but really it's this amazing opportunity that we have to enter into this new covenant with Christ that the Holy Spirit can fill us and reveal to us more and more who God is and what He wants from our life. And you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 20, as Jesus is literally he's kind of administering the Last Supper. He, he's, he's guiding the disciples through this process of these last few moments of his life with them. And in verse 20 it says, After supper he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so in the moment when this woman, when Mary is coming in and she's She's anointing Jesus' feet and she's washing them with perfume and she's wiping them with her hair. It's like she's preparing him, she's preparing his body, this, this moment of this old thing that, that it, it was temporary is finally passing and something new and amazing is about to begin. And she's helping to usher that in. Point number two. You got to see this morning that Mary knew something that no one else did. Mary knew something that no one else knew. And so Jesus said that what she had done was to prepare him for his burial. And I want to share with you this morning, I'm not 100% convinced that Mary 100% knew that that Jesus was uh, going to be buried and what she was doing was anointing his body for burial. Like as, as she came in with her jar of perfume, she says... I am anointing his body for burial. I don't know if she knew that or not. Can I share that with you? But what I do know is that she definitely knew something the disciples didn't know. Because when you think about this moment, and you think about this last week of Jesus' life, and the things that are going to happen over the next several days, let's fast forward a few days to the Last Supper. And let's think about what Jesus is teaching his disciples at the Last Supper when he takes off his garments. And he gets a basin of water and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And he's teaching them that as I'm doing to you, you should be doing to one another. That when you lead, 
You serve other people. And he's still having to teach his disciples, even in the very last moments of his time with them, he's having to teach them servitude. And you look at Mary, and you look at her life, and you look at what she's doing for Jesus right now, she is literally washing Jesus' feet with one of the most expensive things that you could find during this day, and she's using her hair to do it. She's humbling herself in the position of a slave, of a servant, to wash his feet and do something extraordinary and extravagant that the disciples didn't understand what she was doing. And just a few days later, Jesus was going to be teaching them to basically do what she just did. She knew something that they did not know. And I want to share with you this morning, and I think this is really important for us as believers to understand, that as we walk with Christ and as we serve Christ, there are going to be times in our life where Jesus will reveal something special to you. He will give you information or a calling or a leading in your life that may not be given to anyone else but you as an individual. And if He does... You need to be faithful to that. You need to be faithful to that because it's very important. Like when you look at what Mary is doing, whether she realizes that she's anointing him for burial or not does not matter. It's the simple fact that she's being faithful in what she feels like the Lord is leading her to do. So if you feel like the Lord is speaking to you about something very specific, make sure that you're faithful in that. And if you're sitting here today and you feel like the Lord's leading you to do something, but you don't really know why, and you're kind of confused, and you're just like, man, I don't get this. I don't understand exactly why God wants me to do this. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you're scared because you don't know how much it's going to cost. You don't know what it's going to cost you in the long run if you do this. You don't know what it's going to cost you if you decide to follow Christ and, and, and to do this thing that He's calling you to do. You don't know what other people are going to say. And I'm telling you this morning that you cannot worry about stuff like that, but as believers in Christ, we have this obligation to be faithful to His leading and what He's guiding us to do as individuals, and it doesn't matter if anyone else understands it. And you look at Mary in this moment, she, she humbles herself. She's washing his feet. She, she's, and to me, this is like the craziest thing. I know I've probably said this before. And you've heard me say this before. But like for hair, for, for a woman's hair is like one of the most glorious, beautiful things about a woman. And, and for her to take her hair and to just wipe his feet with her hair, is, it's already humbling enough to wash someone's feet. But to take your hair and do that... It, it's a totally different level of, of communication, of, you, of what you are communicating in that moment, of the worthiness and the relationship that's going on there. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus, I mean, he was human. He was God, but he was human. He had a human body. Now, if you've ever sit around and thought about that, I think about a lot of weird stuff. But like Jesus does all the things we do. Like he had to use the bathroom. Like when he used the bathroom, it probably smelled just like it smells when you use the bathroom. And he had armpits and he had feet and they stunk just like your feet and armpits thing. And you know, it's like when you think about it, and we used to tell the youth this all the time when I was in youth ministry, it's like, you know, if you stink, you need a bath. Like you can't cover up stink with 
cologne or perfume or something like that, you know, it always makes it worse. Anybody ever experienced that? Someone who just tried to cover it up and it just makes it so much worse. So here's really expensive perfume, which is kind of stout. The whole house is filled with the fragrance. And now you have the smell of feet and it's just, everything's in her hair and she's just totally wiping this away. And she's totally claiming this and embracing this and embodying this in her humbleness and servitude to Christ in this moment. And while all of that is like super weird and it's like really hard for us to understand as people, she does the thing that we fear the most. You know what the number one fear in America is? Public humiliation. Like there's a lot of things you can talk people into doing. The number one thing that people are afraid of is getting up in front of a group of people and being humiliated, subjecting ourselves to the criticism of others is our greatest fear. And so she humbles herself as a servant. She embodies everything that was considered filthy and dirty about his physical body, takes it on herself in one of her like most glorious, precious parts of her body with her hair, but she subjects herself to the criticism of everyone who's witnessing what she's doing. And they're not being constructive. Judas is not constructively criticizing what Mary's doing. And you got to be careful today. And two things. Number one, if God's speaking to you, if He's calling you, you cannot be afraid to be criticized by other people. There will always be critics. There will always be people out there who's telling you that what you're doing is wrong. You should do it a different way. That's not right. You should do it this way. There will always be critics. And I've heard this said, and I totally agree with this, that the people who are busy criticizing other people are the people who are not busy themselves. They're not doing anything themselves, and that's why they have time to criticize you. If they was busy serving the Lord, they wouldn't have time to criticize you. Don't worry about other people criticizing you. And then if you're sitting in here this morning and you're a believer in Christ and you're following Him and you you are trying your best to have a relationship with Him, we need to be very careful in the way that we criticize other people in their efforts of following Christ. Because you look at the story, who's the one who's criticizing? The one that none of us wants to be. The one who's going to betray Jesus. He's the one criticizing saying she should have done that a different way. His heart and his mind was not of Christ. His heart and his mind was not of servitude and sacrifice. Mary was doing exactly what Jesus was going to try to be teaching them to do in just three or four days from now. You see what I'm saying? We got to be careful as we as we watch other people serve the Lord and what they're doing and be super careful not to criticize because if we criticize we stand a chance of fighting against the very will of God. Because you have to understand that God may reveal something to someone else that he may not have revealed to you yet. And make no mistake about it, you look at the disciples, all 12 of them, not just Judas. It's very possible to be with Jesus to hear His words, to see his, see his miracles, and to hear His teachings, and still not completely understand everything that's going on and what He's wanting to do and accomplish. It's very possible. 
So we as believers can be following Christ and we can love him and we can be serving him. And at the same time, we still may not be privy to everything that Jesus has going on and is trying to accomplish at any given moment in time, in any given situation and circumstance. And that's why we need to be humble and we need to be willing to serve because when we're humble, scripture says that when we are humble, we will be exalted and those who are proud, they will be humbled. So we need to be humble so that Christ can reveal things to us and use us to accomplish his will and his glory. And it's very important for us as believers this morning to make sure that we're humbling ourselves before Christ at all times in every way possible, that we are pursuing him. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, you all know verse 11. Most people quote verse 11. They love verse 11. But look at verses 12 and 13, the ones that follow right behind it. God says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you look for me, you will find me. If you pray, I will listen. You have to understand this morning that even if you don't know exactly what it is that God's calling you to do and why he's calling you to do it, it does not matter. If you seek his face, if you pursue him with your whole heart, if you pray, he will hear you. If you seek him wholeheartedly, you will find him. He will put you in the right place at the right time to do the right thing. And Mary may not have knew that she was actually anointing his body for burial, but she was in the right place at the right time, and inevitably, she anointed his body for burial. Is that good? Do what Christ calls you to do. Be faithful, be humble in the midst of that. If not, you might miss something. Point number three. There's preparation taking place. Now, Jesus said that Mary was preparing him for his burial. And this is a really fascinating thing about the passage because actually there's two forms of preparation going on here. There's a physical preparation happening and there's a spiritual preparation happening. When you read the passage, the physical is very evident. And so we see that Mary is, she's worshiping him. She's doing this extravagant gesture of worship. And in essence, she's preparing his body for burial because he's about to die. And all the while that she's doing this, all this is temporary. It's like, yeah, she, she used this jar of perfume that's worth a year's wages. Can you imagine? Just like it, it, most of us probably don't even have a year's worth of wages saved up in a bank account that we could just go draw. But let's just say you had a year's worth of your wages saved up and you just went and got it out and you just emptied it out and gave it to the Lord and said, boom, this is for you. I want to do this for you. Like that, that takes a lot, right? And as big of a gesture as that is, it's still temporary because it's only a year's worth. You work another year, you can get it back. It's temporary. And she gets the perfume, which is also temporary. I'm sure most of you have used a bottle of perfume at least once in your lifetime by now, or cologne. Maybe if you're a guy, you haven't used perfume. Hopefully not. She's washing his feet with her hair, temporary. Hair will grow. She'll wash it. She'll cut it. Grow. His body, his physical body, temporary. His burial, temporary. You think about it, it's like Jesus is only going to be buried three days. Why in the world would it be worth a year's worth of wages for her to use on a jar of perfume 
to anoint him and wash his feet to get him ready for burial. If he's only going to be buried for three days and he's going to rise again. It's all temporary. It's a temporary preparation. And when you look at Jesus, and a lot of people would say, well, that should have been used differently. It's like, no, she used it exactly what it was supposed to be used for. And Jesus acknowledged that. He said, look, you'll always have the poor among you. You'll always have a reason to spend money and do this thing and do this thing. But I will only be here for a certain amount of time. Everything's temporary. I'm only going to be with you for a little longer. And she's preparing me for my burial. But the temporary preparation is very much necessary for the spiritual and eternal preparation that is also taking place and needs to take place in this moment. Because when you look at Jesus, he's saying, look, I'm not going to be with you. And as she's preparing him for burial, he's preparing them for the fact of, I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect from the grave. I'm going to ascend to heaven. And he talks about this. He talks about these things constantly with the disciples. And he's constantly preparing them. And you know, I said a while ago, it's very much possible for us to be with Jesus, to love him, to hear his teaching, to hear his voice, see his miracles, have all this stuff, and yet everything he says or his purpose and his plans go right over our heads and we totally miss it. Because the disciples were totally missing it. He had been talking about his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and he even talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit multiple times to the disciples, and they never got it. Even up until the time where he died, they just didn't get it. And you can look in in, in, uh, the New Testament after he he resurrects from the dead, and even after he ascends, and when the Holy Spirit comes, there's just so many times where it reminds them, where the Lord has to remind them of things that he had said, say, oh yeah, he did say this, because it's right over their head. They just didn't get it. But he's trying to prepare them in this moment. And I think this is really, this is so important. For us as believers, as we start this series and we really focus on celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Christ, and what this means for us and how important it should be and how, how big of a celebration it is. I mean, if we are truly Christians, if we're truly believers in Christ, there should be nothing more important and exciting to you than the simple understanding of, I have forgiveness of sin. I have a relationship with Christ. I can pray to God at any time through the name of Jesus. I I have the feeling of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to go to a temple. I don't have to ask a priest to pray for me. I don't have to take a sacrifice. If I need God, I can call on Him right now in the name of Jesus and have access to Him through the sacrifice of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We have so much to be thankful for. And if we're true believers... Just understanding what Christ did for us to usher in that new covenant, we would be so excited. We would not just take it as just, it's just another day. It's just another thing. We wouldn't take it for granted. We would be so excited about it. And this whole understanding that 4,000 years of preparation, 4,000 years of what God has been working towards to bring about His one and only Son 
to bring this covenant to completion, to an end, so that he could usher in this new covenant that thankfully you and I get to benefit from every day. In so many ways that we take for granted, it really is a wonderful thing. And Mary, think about that. Mary, who's just doing her thing, the one who sat at Jesus' feet, who found what was truly better. She was sitting there at Jesus' feet. She got it. She got something that no one else got. She got something that Martha didn't get. She got something the disciples didn't get. I mean, I just think it's really cool that she was doing what Jesus was going to be convincing the disciples to do just a few days from now. She was ahead of the game. And when we ask this this question today, you know, like, of everybody in the story, who do you want to be like? We would all say, Mary. We want to be like Mary. But you got to think about what that means. What that cost. What that entails. Because she was willing to do something that no one else was willing to do. She gave a year's worth of her life to wash his feet. She humbled herself to do something that the rest of the disciples were not willing to do. They didn't even understand. And she subjected herself to the criticism of everybody else because she was doing something that no one else understood. And when you do something that no one else understands, you got a lot of critics who are telling you about how wrong you are and how you should be doing things differently. And she got it. She knew something that no one else knew. And if you want to be like Mary, and you want to serve Christ, and you want to be a part of that plan, whether you realize it or not, you've got to be willing to be humble and submit yourself and do all the things that God's called you to do and be in the right places, be there at the right time so that you can be a part of it. And we've got to be consistent in that. You look at Mary. She's one of the most common people you read about in Scripture. You see her name appear next to the disciples. She's probably one of your top names that you see over and over again in the Gospels. She was always with Jesus. She had the opportunity to play a part in that plan. In Luke chapter 12, verse 47, Jesus is teaching his disciples about his second coming. Yeah, I, I think this is interesting to end the sermon with this passage. Because he constantly told his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to ascend to heaven. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And he was even teaching them about his second coming. I'm going to come again. And in Luke 12, verse 47, as he's talking to them about his second coming and how they needed to be prepared and how they needed to do all the things that he had taught them to do, he uses this analogy in verse 47 he says and a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished and as believers you know we sit here today and I think it's really important to remind ourselves you know the Lord's kind of set it up in such a way that as we've 
as we follow him or as we claim that we follow him, that there's, there's something in us that knows we should go to church. There's something in us that knows that like we need to be a part of that. But the, the thing is, is that so many people struggle with coming to church and actually being present emotionally and mentally and spiritually. So like we'll show up physically, but you know, the rest of us just really isn't here. We're somewhere else thinking or dreaming or looking forward to something. But this whole idea of every time that we are surrounding ourselves with other believers and the reading of scripture, and we hear more about what God expects from us and wants from us, and the possibility we have in having this close, intimate relationship with Christ, and the more that we... And most people don't feel like they reject it because we, we would never just say, I don't want that. I don't want Jesus. We would never say that. But the more that we just don't choose it, we don't choose to grow. We don't choose to be present mentally and, and spiritually in this moment. We don't choose to read scripture when we're at home. We don't choose to pray. We don't choose to grow in our relationship with Christ. And we don't necessarily want this close, intimate relationship with Christ because then we feel guilty about what we're doing. The more that we don't choose Christ, the more we set ourselves up for punishment. Because we hear about what God wants. We hear about what He expects from us. We hear about His desires and, and having this very intimate, close relationship with Him and know that it's possible. And yet we still refuse to choose it if we know what the master wants but we're not prepared and we don't carry out those instructions the only thing we can expect is to be severely punished you you know the whole idea about jesus coming and bleeding and dying and resurrecting from the dead and and ascending to heaven and sending the holy spirit and him second coming is is that we have eternal life we get the ability to spend eternity with him there's a great reward and a reason to celebrate for that and so as you sit here this morning we have to ask like okay who do we want to be like we want to be like judas no Nobody wants to be like, nobody wants to be the critic. Nobody wants to be the one who betrays Christ. We don't want to be the bad person. So it's like we want, we want to be Mary. But we have to be willing to humble ourselves, to serve, to sacrifice, and to do things that no one else expects or understands. You have to be willing to put yourself out there in the name of Jesus in order to truly follow him the way that he's called us to. There's no other way around it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day and this time together. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for your word. And thank you for people like Mary who are willing to do things above and beyond what anyone else was willing to do or could even understand or think of. God, help us to be obedient to you and your leading and your calling. We love you and we thank you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.